Well, uh, help, uh, welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we're going to read the, the story of Pentecost from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Listen to God's Word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they, they asked one another, well, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, after all. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The uh, story is told about a small country church that caught fire, and people came from far and wide to uh, help extinguish the flames. And as the pastor was working alongside many of his parishioners and a lot of the townspeople who come to put out the fire, he said, you know, I don't remember this many people coming out to church. And one of the members replied, I don't ever remember seeing the church on fire, <laughs> which seems to me to be a very sad commentary about a church to have the world's most important truth to share and yet to have no burning passion about it. A church that hasn't caught fire is a church in the deep breeze. And you know what? Few people are drawn to a church full of God's frozen chosen. 
Yes, yes. The book of Revelation tells about a church like this. This is the church in Ephesus. It had a lot going for it. They possessed the right doctrine. They had it all down. They uh, were busy doing all kinds of ministry. They had persevered and endured much hardship. In other words, they were, uh, you know, like the big church on the block. But we are told that the Lord had this against them. You have forsaken your first love. There was no passion in what they were doing. Their love for the Lord had grown cold. They had lost their vital connection with the living Lord, and they allowed their spirit or their, the spirit of their church to go into the deep freeze. They were a church that was going through the motions. And I got to tell you, there's nothing more boring than a church that's just going through the motions. It's useless. Church not on fire is a deadly church. But now that very first New Testament church was a very much a church on fire. On the day of Pentecost, as the church was gathered in the upper room, they were all in prayer. The Spirit of God came down upon them with tongues of fire. Now, when you think of fire, uh, what images come to your mind? I think of a kind of explosive energy. I, I think of something that cheers and warms and consumes and galvanizes, purifies. To be on fire for something is to be enthusiastic about it. And by the word, that word, that word, that English word, enthusiasm, comes from two Greek words: en theos, in God. To be on fire is to be energized, focused and passionate. And that early Christian church was just that. They were on fire for the Lord. The tongues of fire were an outward symbol of a powerful inward transformation. On the day of Pentecost and thereafter, their hearts were set ablaze with a new kind of spiritual energy and passion. And that energy and that passion was evident in various ways. And we see it in their praise and in their worship. When the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples in the upper room, they began to speak in tongues and languages. And we tend to get hung up on the tongues part. But really, the important thing is what they were saying. They were praising God. They were telling of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ in words that other people could understand. And apparently there was such a quality about their praise and about their worship and about their message that a lot of other people were attracted to it. There was a joy and there was a sense of abandon in their worship. And apparently it was, was mistaken for having drunk too much wine. But the fact is they were aware of God's living presence in their midst and so appreciative were they of all that God had done and was doing through Christ, that their praise was wholehearted and it was honest and transparent and it was sincere. And as I say, people were attracted to that, as they are attracted to that, especially today. Because when people come, should they come, they need to see people who are authentic 
in their faith and in their worship. Is it real? Is it real to us? Is it true? So the early church was on fire, not only in its praise and in its worship, but in its fellowship. When the Holy Spirit came down upon their lives, they had a new and burning passion for each other. Now, a hot fire can, can meld things together, right? And that's exactly what the Spirit was doing among those first Christians. The Spirit was bringing diverse people from different countries with different temperaments and personalities, and they were bringing them together with a, this great sense of unity, and they all had this tremendous love and concern for each other. It was the Holy Spirit that gave them a warm heart for each other. And so great was their passion for each other and loving each other and caring for each other that others looking at this fellowship could only say, my, how they love one another. It was a church on fire in its worship, in its fellowship, and in its witness and mission. Years ago, you may remember the uh, fire uh, swept through Yellowstone National Park. It was kind of scary because that place is precious to, the, to all of us. And one of the important lessons learned by scientists was that the cones of the large evergreen sequoia trees break open under the influence of intense heat. And those cones would break open and release seeds, which immediately begins the process of refertilization. In the same way, those, of, those who are on fire for the Lord, on fire with love for Christ, will break open, so to speak, and will plant the seed of the gospel, the Word of God, in those with whom they have contact. And that's exactly what those early Christians did. They all had a passion to share the good news of Christ with others. Started with their family and with their friends and in workplaces. They carried the seed into all the world where it's been growing and spreading ever since. I still find it amazing, you know, 120 people in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And today, what? There are two, three billion people that call themselves Christians. How can that be? How can it be? The fact that at Pentecost, they all spoke in different languages when the Holy Spirit came upon them, again, pointed to the worldwide impact they would have. 120 people literally turned the world upside down. The world hasn't been the same. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached with power and with conviction. 3,000 people that day became Christians. There was so much excitement in sharing the Word. There was so much enthusiasm in their witness. And it says in the book of Acts that because of their effective witness, people were added to their fellowship daily. The church grew. The early church was on fire, vibrant, full of life. The greatest need of the church today is to catch fire like the church of old. And a church will catch fire only as its individual members are on fire for the Lord and are serving the Lord with passion and with energy. And so we have to ask the question of ourselves, are we on fire for the Lord? Is His love burning within our hearts? 
Are we so excited about what the Lord is doing in the world and in our lives that we can't wait to tell other people about it? Or do we find ourselves among God's frozen chosen, having lost our first love, if we had it in the first place? Have we been living the life on our own terms, in our own power? Have we allowed our faith to become a matter of habit and duty, you know, being a good person? Have we put our faith in the icebox? Can people skate down the aisles of our church? That's a scary thought, isn't it? Has our faith engaged our head, but not our heart? Sometimes our faith never makes the 18-inch journey, you know, from head to heart, so that, you know, intellectually, yeah, you know, we buy it. We buy it. You know, we know it. Yeah, it's, we, we know it to be true. But does that head knowledge get down into the heart where, where the, the emotions are engaged and the passions and the will are engaged? Yes, we may know the truth intellectually, but it may never really grab us to the point where it powerfully transforms our lives and changes us forever. If that journey is not made, then the passion, well, the passion, the warmth, the fire, the sizzle and pop is just missing in our faith, and we're missing out. One of the most important scholars of the 17th century was a man, a Frenchman by the name of Blaise Pascal. He was a great scientist and mathematician and inventor, famous for many key breakthroughs in the fields of well, applied sciences. Um, born in 1623, Pascal was a child prodigy and as a teenager invented his own mechanical calculator. He made important contributions to the fields of mathematical probability and geometry. And uh, he also made important discoveries in the study of fluids and pressures, vacuums, and that kind of thing. So Pascal grew up Catholic but he spent most of his life as a nominal Christian, never really giving his faith much thought. He was born in 1623. Um, in 1646, his father fell and broke his hip, which was a devastating injury in that day. Uh, two doctors uh, that worked with his father over the next few months happened to be devout Christians. And through their friendship and their conversation, Pascal began to think seriously about Christian faith for the first time in his life. But for him, although he acknowledged uh, the, the attractiveness of its truth, um, it was still, his faith was still pretty much an intellectual exercise and didn't have much impact on his life. Uh, after t meeting with these doctors and talking about faith and kind of acknowledging it intellectually, he then went into a worldly period of his life, and he became very lonely. Uh, he lost the estate one way or the other, and so he was poor. But God was still pretty much a philosophical construct in his mind. But then one night, over the course of two hours in his room... He experienced his own personal Pentecost, and we don't know exactly what happened or how the Holy Spirit met him, 
but what he knew in his head now fully captured his heart. And he described his spiritual experience using one word. Fire. Fire. Actually, it's in French, it's feu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, he was a Frenchman after all. As soon as his experience was over, he grabbed paper and pen and wrote these words. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, Feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the Martyrology, Vigil of St. Chrysogonus, Martyr and others, from about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Jacob, God of Isaac, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Oh, I have departed from him. They have forsaken me in the fountain of the living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I left him. I, I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. He then took that piece of paper where he wrote those words, carefully sewed it in the inside of his coat, which, and then he, he kept that coat, wore it all the time, for the, basically for the rest of his life. He died at the age of 39. And this piece of paper that was uh, sewn into his coat was not discovered until after his death. Talk about making the intellectual journey, the 18-inch journey, you know, from head to heart. But you know what? He found God in a very mystical way, in a very special way, dramatic way. But that's got to happen to each of us somehow, some way. We got to make that journey. It's got to grab the heart. And just to pick on some of us, you know, who tend to be kind of like Presbyterian-type folks, we tend to be really into our head. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the heart isn't always evident 
in our, in our faith. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to people in different ways, limitless ways, actually. It can be in a mystical experience alone in a room, in our room. It can be while we are worshiping with others. It can come as we read the Scripture open before us, and as we're open, only we discover that our hearts are beginning to burn within us. Suddenly, the words begin to jump off the page, and they hit us between the eyes and right here in the heart. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes to us in a, in a, in a time of great crisis and trouble, turmoil, when we find ourselves at the end of our rope and there is no one to whom we can turn except to God, the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit is able to make a breakthrough in our lives because we have finally let go, complete submission, total renunciation. Lord, whom am I in heaven but you? So if you and I are to catch fire for the Lord, there is really one primary thing we must do, and that is to pray. It's to pray. In prayer, you and I can confess to the Lord the frozen state of our hearts, repent of our indifference and our inner boredom, and ask Him to put the fire and passion that perhaps we once experienced to put it within. It is while the church, this is I think the important thing about the story is it's while the church was praying in the upper room that the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And the Spirit came with incredible energy and transformative power. So that today, if we are to experience that same kind of spiritual renewal, then we must pray as the church of old did, come, Holy Spirit, come. What a dangerous prayer to pray. It's a bit like playing with fire, actually. <laughs> because when we pray, come Holy Spirit, there's no telling what might happen when the Spirit gets loose among us. I mean, the Spirit might shake us out of our typical Presbyterian reserve. We might become so enthusiastic about our faith that others are going to really wonder about us. Has he or she drunk too much wine? <laughs> What's happened? The Spirit may cause us to do things in Christ's name that we never would have thought of doing and never thought we could do. He may lead us to places that, where we never we would have thought, we thought that we would never go there. And in addition to comforting the afflicted, He just might afflict those of us who are too comfortable. He might disturb us in ways that we had not counted on, waking us from our spiritual slumber. Oh, my. Fervent, heartfelt, seeking prayer is the key to a more passionate spiritual life. A church full of prayers is a church that will be on fire for the Lord. So when we pray and we give our lives over to God in a spirit of self-surrender to God, the Holy Spirit is freed up to do amazing things within us, 
our hearts will begin to burn within us, and then we will begin to be of such enthusiasm that we truly will impact the life, lives of those around us. And so we pray, you know, the, we pray, therefore, with openness always, and we can pray in the, in the words of the old song, right? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me. Mold me. Fill me. Use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And may that be our prayer uh, today and indeed every day. Now, a man who had a lot to do with the founding of the Presbyterian Church was John Calvin. Uh, and, uh, you know, we think of him as being a real head person, but he was also a heart person. He, he was able to bridge the two. And uh, his crest was, uh, was an upraised hand uh, holding a burning heart. It was a heart set aflame by God. And beneath that crest are inscribed these words, Lord, my heart I give Thee eagerly and sincerely. Lord, my heart I give Thee eagerly and sincerely. And that's the kind of openness and the sense of surrender that you and I must cultivate if the Spirit is to work within us in a powerful way. So let us corporately, individually recommit ourselves to the practice of prayer, waiting upon the Lord to do a mighty thing among us. Let us open our hearts to God like we've never done so before. Let us give our hearts to Him and then we shall find them burning with a new kind of love and a new kind of passion. So may it be. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Melt our frozen hearts and restore the love we had for you when we first came to believe in you. We give our hearts anew to you this day. May your Holy Spirit fill us with a burning passion that shows itself in our worship and praise, in our caring fellowship, and in our loving witness to the world. May we, like the church of old, be a church on fire for you. Amen.